Who is this Jesus? Well, he'd been doing many miracles and teaching in synagogues all over Judea, gaining much attention. Jesus was praying with his disciples. They were there with him, so he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist. They said, Elijah. And others even say that a prophet of old has risen. And then he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter said, The Christ of God. So Jesus strictly charged and commanded them not to tell this to anyone, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders and be killed, but on the third day be raised. And then he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. For he who saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? Then he went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go on over there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And still going on a little further, he fell on his face, praying. He said, Father, if at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And as he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping. And he said, sleep and get your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve disciples, and with him a large crowd with clubs and swords from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, and he said, The man that I kiss is he. Seize him. And so he quickly came to Jesus, and he said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said, Friend, do what you came to do. And they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Jesus was delivered to be crucified. And with his final breath, he cried out, saying, It is is finished, signifying that he had completed what he came to do. And at that time, the curtain of the temple tore in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and all the tombs were open. And when the centurion and all who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw what happened and saw the earth shake, they were filled with awe. And they said, truly, this is the Son of God. 
The Apostle Paul later wrote that Jesus appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the 12 disciples. And then he appeared to 500 brothers at once, most of whom are still alive at the time of Paul's writing, proving that Jesus was who he said he was, God's son. For the gift of your son, and we celebrate all that he has done this season. And uh, we, we come to worship you. We come to worship him. We know that one day we are going to see both you and him, and, and, and it's going to be indescribable. We know that any time somebody has seen you, the natural reaction is to fall on our faces. And we know that you are an awesome God. You are able to do anything you want to do, and we know that you were able to raise your son from the dead, and you did it. And we're so thankful for that recorded account that we can trust. We uh, pray that you'd help us now as we look into your word. I pray that you would speak to us through that. I pray that you would give Pastor Justin a clarity of thought, great energy as he brings your word, but ultimately that he brings your words tonight. So we pray that you would do that now in Christ's name. Amen. And you can be seated. Man, what an impactful evening. Amen. He is risen. He is risen I'd like to uh, read to you out of a classic passage in Luke chapter 24. It's a description of the resurrection, the moment that they discovered that Christ had risen from the grave. This is important because in uh, Corinthians, Paul reminds us that if Christ isn't risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain. This is the central issue. This, uh, this miracle is either true or we have nothing else to believe in. Christ died, was buried, and the declaration is he rose again, and we can trust it. We can trust it. Luke chapter 24, it says this, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. As the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one from among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. They returned from the tomb and they reported all these things to the eleven and to all of the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and also other women that were with them telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. They would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping. He looked in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Do you believe that happened this evening? The question I want to just touch for a few moments here is the one that's posed by the angels. Why do you look for the living one among the dead? This is the concern every single year. Why do we search for the living among the dead? You can be sure that at some point 
during the course of this season, every single year, you will see a report from the BBC or CNN or some other news agency where they go back to the area in Jerusalem and they begin to look for the body of Jesus or somehow try to debunk it. Isn't that true? Year after year after year, they go back to the scene hoping to find his body, but it is not there. Why? The angels made the statement, why do you look for the living one among the dead? We struggle believing the resurrection, and yet this is the central issue. This is the miracle we celebrate every single time on Resurrection Sunday. I just want to highlight a couple reasons why we might struggle with the resurrection, why even these early disciples did. The first reason that we struggle to accept the resurrection is that quite often we are confused about why he came. Just one week earlier, uh, these men and women had come in with Jesus. It was one week uh, before he was killed, before he was buried, that the whole town seemed to be celebrating Christ. You see, he's coming into the town. There's shouts of Hosanna. People are throwing down palm fronds. There's all of this excitement about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And one week later, he's dead. They couldn't imagine. All of a sudden, one of the 12 that was with them, with all of the Hosannas, one of the 12, Judas, turns against them. And then the religious leaders turn against them. And then the crowd turns against them. It feels like everything had gone horribly wrong. All of their anticipation had been dashed when Christ was on the cross. They're thinking in their minds, this is not how it was supposed to be. But in fact, it was exactly how it was supposed to be. That was exactly what Christ knew would happen. I'd like to introduce you to somebody because I think we struggle to wrap our minds around um, Christ coming for us. Why would God spend time with man? I'd like to introduce you to Lobby Joe. He didn't know that he was actually on sale on a surf and turf special at a local um, Piggly Wiggly. Wherever that was up in Canada, it was about six hours outside of Manitoba, and a gal by the name of Christine Loed actually had found this little guy kicking around in his tank, and she said that she saw him and instantly knew that they had a connection. Her and Lobby Joe looked eye to eye through the tank, and she said, there's no possible way this one dies today. So she paid her $20 for Lobby Joe. She pulled out this uh, special uh, packaging and, and put some water in there and some ice. And she drove six hours to Manitoba, uh, where then she shipped them to a friend that lived in Maine, who then drove Lobby Joe to the coast and released him where he could go back to his home. I'm confident he lived happily ever after. There's no way that story ends poorly, right? And we think in our minds, and I'm sure you're thinking the same thing, how ridiculous is it to spend all of this money and time on a lobster? Much better just to taste him. <laughs> don't waste him. We don't know. What is the value of a lobster? The reality is when you t consider why in the world the God of the universe would value us, it is a mystery to us. We have a perspective about what is value. We have a perspective about what is right, and God consistently steps in and says, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. A short while ago, 
there was a book that was written called Small Miracles, and uh, the author of that, Judith Leventhal, was shocked as she was doing, taking some personal testimonies and asking people for a moment where they felt like God had steered them to the right place so that they could come to a proper conclusion, so that, that something good would happen. And they were all overwhelmed when they heard the story of a man who said that, uh, I've got a story for you, and he did not want his name to be used. He said, I was going along one day, and he said, I took a different route home than I normally take. And he says, while I was walking on my way home, I can hear over in the bushes, other people are around, but I could hear in the bushes that there was a woman struggling with an attacker. He says, and I thought about my slight build, and I thought about how I'm not a guy that's a fighter, and I thought as I'm walking by, oh, I don't know if I could do this. And he says, but I could tell that she was struggling and the battle was strong, and so he said, I just decided I would step in there. And so he said, I I ran over to the brush, and I tackled this guy that was attacking this gal, and uh, he says there was a fight, and we're rolling around on the ground, and he bruised me up pretty good, but all of a sudden he jumped up, and he was nervous, and he ran off. He says, I I didn't know what state the gal was in, and so he said, I just put my head down, and I said, ma'am, it's okay, your attacker is gone. And then in the quiet, in the dark, he hears these words, dad? And he had actually saved his daughter. Now imagine at that moment how much shock comes to this man when he realizes that he almost considered passing by because of his mortality, because of his weakness. And how many of us have probably passed by something hard because it just was something that was a bother to us and we'll let somebody else take care of it. But the statement of Scripture is, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't pass by, not for a moment, and every single one of you was of ultimate value to him. So much value, he didn't pass by, but he stepped right into the world, and Christ took all of your punishment, all of your sin on him to set you free. He would not pass by. He refuses to pass by that you might be set free. We struggle with the resurrection because we're confused about why he came, but we also struggle with the resurrection because we forget what he said he would do. There's two names that are used here in this passage. It says, and they entered and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is the first time, it's interesting when you read in the language, the first time that this phrase is used this way in the book of Luke. It gets used in the rest of the book of Acts. It gets read uh, multiple times as you read the letters to other churches. But this is the first time. Jesus had done all kinds of things. He, He had been a teacher He'd been a healer. He'd been the master. He'd been the savior. He he had accomplished many things. He had healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He set the lame on their feet. He raised the dead, even other people. But only after he was raised from the grave did he become the Lord Jesus. This is a title that's given to him on this moment. It is a crowning achievement. He is the Lord Jesus because of his victory over death his ability to save you and I. And he said in Luke chapter 9, those very words that are quoted by the angel, the Son of Man is going to get rough treatment. He will be killed, be buried, and he will rise again on the third day. He told them in Luke chapter 9, this is exactly what will happen, and it happened years later. But there's a second term that's used here. It says uh, that the angels are saying, 
Remember that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. This is a second title, and it goes back to a statement in Daniel chapter 7. And here Daniel paints a scene, and he says, I saw up there a scene in heaven. And he says, and I looked, and it's the very end of time. And at the end of time, all of these thrones were set up, and there was one that was ruler over everything, the Ancient of Days. His vesture was like a white snow, and the hair on his head was the head of pure wool. And his throne was ablaze with flames. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing in front of him. It says that the court sat and the books were open. This is a judgment scene from the very end of time when every man, woman, and child stands in front of the living God. It says, and I kept looking. And in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man. He was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and it was given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations of every single language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. He has this amazing scene, and he says, and I looked, and here is the Ancient of Days, and one that looked like the Son of Man. This is Christ's favorite title for himself. The one that will judge the living and the dead. Christ not only told them that he would die, be buried, and rise again, he told them and proclaimed that I will come again, and it's in his name, Son of Man. He will not do one and forget the other. Amen? The resurrection proves that both will happen. We struggle with the resurrection when we forget why he came. We struggle with the resurrection when we forget what he said he would do. But finally, we struggle to accept the resurrection when we are focused on our truth and not the truth. It is our human nature to be focused on our own narrative and to misinterpret the facts. How is it possible for two groups of people to see the same set of facts and come away with different perspectives? I just have two words for you, Mueller report. <laughs> it is possible to be so committed to your worldview that you reject even the truth. I was aware that we would have uh, kids in here, so I wanted to quote a, a theological treatise that was of great importance, Ratatouille. <laughs> and in Ratatouille, there's actually a character, Anton Ego. And at the very beginning, Anton is a food critic, and he is absolutely convinced that there's no possible way that good food can be cooked for you by a rat. I happen to agree with him. Anton Ego is uh, the villain inside this movie, and he goes from scene to scene, and he has his pen, and every single time that he tastes some food, he starts writing things down, and everyone is poised and looking at him, and it's almost as if he is a, a bird of prey, the way that he attacks his page and the way that he begins to write, and he seems so irritated with everybody's attempt at food, and every place that he goes, they sit there and they are fearful, and he scribbles terrible things about their ability to cook. In fact, one person asked him, why do you hate food? And he says, I don't hate food. I love it. You just don't know how to cook it. But then there is one pivotal, pivotal moment where Anton is flooded with powerful childhood memories from a perfectly prepared dish. 
Anton Ego goes from this angry, bothered person back to being a little child with one taste from a dish cooked for him by a rat. He did not know it. At that moment, he could not ignore the facts. In one moment, his thinking was changed. He ate that food. He knew that the food was delicious, and it transformed his experience. He couldn't ignore the truth. Now, it's a long ways from Anton Ego to the tomb, the empty tomb. But here is a significant thing that happens in this passage. In Luke chapter 24, every single person that goes to the empty tomb could not deny that it was empty. The empty grave clothes were there. The angels are making a declaration. Jesus is not here. He is risen. He told you what it was that he was going to do. He's risen from the grave. Every single person who saw the truth, the empty tomb, walked away amazed. The resurrection is proof that Christ is who he said he is. Because of the resurrection, we know for sure why he came. Because of the resurrection, we know him as the Lord Jesus. We know him as the Son of Man, the Savior and the Judge. Because of the resurrection, we can now see the truth. Because of the resurrection, the disciples would be transformed. Because of the resurrection, the early church would explode. Because of the resurrection, skeptics throughout the generations have bowed their knee. Because of the resurrection, Jesus is declared King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? He is risen. We would love today, if you do not know Jesus, if you have not given your life to him at the end of this service, I'd love to talk with you about that or pray with you. But if you are here today and you are a believer, we should celebrate the risen Savior. We should proclaim that he has risen from the grave and he came to do what he accomplished perfectly and he is coming again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to preach these things, to hear these things, to respond to them, to tell a lost and dying world that there is hope because of a Savior who has accomplished it all. He has victory over the grave, and he imparts eternal life. Father, help us to trust that. Help us to celebrate in this season. Help us to remind each other of all that Christ has accomplished. We praise you, not just for the death and burial of Jesus but for showing us that he has risen again and that we can have eternal life as a result. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so thankful that you came this evening to celebrate a risen Savior. Amen? Amen. What a great time. If, uh, if you are here tonight and you don't know Christ and you say, I want to know him, I want to give my life to him today, I would love to pray with you up front. Uh, you can tell a neighbor, somebody who brought you, but don't leave today without knowing for sure where you stand. For the rest of us, let's celebrate all weekend long this Savior who is risen from the grave. Amen? Thanks for being here. You're dismissed.